We're going to turn, if you would, turn your Bibles, please, to um, the 18th chapter of Exodus. We're going to do a deep dive into a, um, if you can call it, a leadership lesson this morning. Um, so if you, if you don't mind joining me as we learn a little bit about leadership um, from a man by the name of Jethro. Again, it's in Exodus chapter 18. And while you're turning there, let, let, let me just um, start by just kind of sharing a little bit of my own personal leadership failings with you. Um, the, 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 the greatest advice and counsel giver I have in my life is my wife. My wife is a wise woman, um, a woman that's wise beyond her years. She is a, a phenomenal thinker. She's a phenomenal teacher. She's a phenomenal, um, obviously, she has a degree in, 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 in psychological um, psychology, and, and so she thinks in ways that are helpful for me. And, and, and then, obviously, she's deeply spiritual. She loves Jesus uh, passionately. And so because of that, I can bounce tons of things off of my wife and learn so many things um, about life in general and about next steps for me, about things that I need to do, things I should do. Um, and, and, and given all of that, you would think that I would listen to her far more than I choose to listen to her regularly. Um, she, happens to, she happens to give great counsel, and I happen to not like her counsel most of the times when she gives it. And, 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 and maybe you're like me. Maybe, maybe there are people in your life that you love, you, you, you love and you know that they're bright and you know that they're wise and you know that they give great counsel, but maybe you aren't godly enough to listen to their counsel all the time. I mean, when I, when I, look, when I look back on it and I think back on it, what, what, all, what it ultimately boils down to most of the time when I reject my wife's counsel, it has everything, it has, it has nothing to do with me being godly most of the time and everything to do with me being sinfully arrogant and just refusing to acknowledge that she's right. And there, and, 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 and there are people in your life that you are surrounded by, that God surrounds you with, that are, that are able to speak wise things in your life if you have ears to listen. Things that will help you long-term, things that will help you navigate some of the some of the treacherous courses and some of the treacherous paths that you have in life. And this morning, we find one of those individuals in Scripture helping Moses navigate the treacherous path of leadership that he's been given, he's been assigned by God. In this chapter, in chapter 18, we're going to see that there is a man that is giving Moses counsel. But even, if, even though it's a man that's giving Moses counsel, it is ultimately the Father in heaven who is giving Moses counsel through this man. The heavenly Father giving counsel, through, um, giving counsel to Moses through his earthly father-in-law. Here's what we can take great confidence in as we walk through this scripture. We can take great confidence in the fact that when we live life, Pursuing God's will and pursuing God's glory, we will position ourselves for the type of counsel we need to live a spiritually healthy and godly life. And sometimes that counsel will not come directly from the thrones of heaven. Sometimes that counsel will come from the mouths of men and women around us. When we look at this text this morning, starting with Jethro, 
He's getting the news about God's miraculous delivery of Moses and Israel from the oppression of Pharaoh and Egypt. And upon hearing that news, he gathers Moses' wife and Moses' children, who it appears Moses has left behind um, during his deliverance mission that God deploys him on. And Jethro and Moses, they, and Jethro and Moses' family set out to meet Moses at Mount Sinai, the place where Moses' mission first began, actually. In chapter 3, we heard it, uh, it was called Mount Horeb. But most scholars believe that Sinai and Horeb are the same mountain, actually. So Moses meets his wife, he meets his children, he meets his father-in-law in the place where God first called him on this deliverance mission. And as we, we pick up in verse 5, it says, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. So Moses is about to receive counsel from Jethro. But verse 7 gives us a very important detail that helps us understand why Moses receives that counsel. Moses went out to meet Jethro. He bowed down before Jethro, a sign of respect. He kissed Jethro, a sign of affection. In other words, Moses respected Jethro. Moses loved Jethro. So Moses listened to Jethro. Folks, ears are earned. Ears are earned. You don't automatically get the privilege to speak into people's lives. You earn that privilege. The way you live in front of people and the love that you show people will often dictate the attention that those people give you. So as you're sharing counsel with others, you should also be asking yourself, do I show the kind of love or do I, do, do, do I reflect the kind of love that makes it easy to heed my counsel? Do I live the kind of life that makes it easy to listen to my words? You see, some of us want to be heard without being loving. Some of us want to be listened to without being respected. That may happen. Sometimes you get granted that mercy, but it isn't reasonable to expect it to happen. We even have to consider sometimes, even as we think about counsel, we have to consider the quality uh, 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 or, or the longevity and the experience that comes with that counsel. You see, not only has Jethro apparently lived a, a life worthy of Moses' respect and, and affection, but he has also lived a pretty long life. He is Moses' Moses' father-in-law. He's seen more. You know, when I first graduated from college, I played basketball with a group of guys um, at, at one of the local churches here. 22 years old, still without my dad belly, jumping with, I felt, felt like jumping out of the gym, but it really wasn't jumping out of the gym. I could barely dunk. But I felt good. And I was playing with guys that had families, they were married, their kids were either in high school or going to college or had already went to college. 
I was playing with guys that were old enough to be my dad, and I would run up and down the court full speed and would be upset because I would look around, and these guys didn't appear like they were what I would consider to be hustling. They would kind of trot down the court and didn't seem to be taking this game all that serious, and if they lost, it was like, oh, you know, oh, well, let's play another one. And I was really upset about that at 22. I was still upset about that at 25. I was even upset at that at about 30, but not quite as upset. Started running a little slower at 30. By the time I got to 32, 33, I started to realize why those guys were trotting up and down the court. You see, the longer I lived, the more I realized that, Brian, you got other things to do besides play this basketball game at lunch. There's a family that needs you to come home safely so you can continue to make money and put food on the table. So it didn't mean as much to lose a game at 12 o'clock on my lunch break between going back and forth to work. It started to, it started to settle in that these guys have a little bit more foresight than I do. In fact, there are some of those guys that are still playing, and I can't even play anymore because of my shot knees. And they're still playing. Apparently, they were wiser than I ever thought they were, prepared for the long haul. You see, as my African-American elders used to always tell us when we used to question why they did things the way they did, or why they chose one route instead of choosing another, they would always tell us, honey, live a little. Live a little, and you'll understand. So when people aren't listening, it, 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 it isn't always simply because they are hard of hearing. It isn't always simply because they're disobedient or arrogant. Sometimes it's because the speaker hasn't shown the type of love that they need in order to be heard. Sometimes the speaker hasn't earned the type of respect that's required in order to be heard. Sometimes the speaker hasn't shown the level of maturity that people want to see in order to be heard. We must explore both all of these possibilities before we write people off that aren't paying us any attention. Moses loved Jethro. Moses respected Jethro. So Moses listened to Jethro. As we continue in verse 8, we also see part of Jethro's moment of counsel is motivated by Jethro's conversion experience. Verse 8, or verse 8, it says, Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Notice the first thing Moses wanted to do was tell his father-in-law about what the Lord had done. You see, when we clearly see the hand of God in our deliverance, it moves us to, it moves rather to the forefront of our conversation and our dialogue. When we clearly begin to see the goodness of God in rescuing us, we begin to desire the chance and the opportunity to speak about it. But also notice another thing about Moses' story. He highlights the hand of God in deliverance, but it is not absent of hardship. He tells Jethro about the victory, but he tells Jethro about all the hardship and how God delivered them from that hardship. Where God delivered us from, where God delivered us from is a, is a vital part of the deliverance story. 
And we shouldn't ignore that part of the story, or we shouldn't even try to downplay that part of the story. Where God has delivered us from serves in highlighting his power to deliver. This is precisely what happens here with uh, with Jethro, which leads us to verse 10. In verse 10, he says, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh. It has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Notice what happens as we, as we look at the result of Moses testifying of God's goodness in delivering them from their hardship. Jethro turns. He turns to praising God. Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. He turns to boasting of God as the one true God. Jethro knew how powerful Egypt was, and yet God had not only delivered the people, but he had overthrown the nation, laid their authorities to waste. And so Jethro responds to that knowledge by saying, I know that the Lord is greater than all God. How many of you have this similar testimony in your your life? Some of you remember that moment when you realize that there is no one greater than the Lord. Some of you realize that moment when you realize that you are greater than all others. When is the last time somebody heard that from your mouth? When When is the last time somebody heard that story from you? When is the last time you shared that testimony with someone? Jethro turns towards acts of worship towards God. In verse 12, he offers burnt offerings and sacrifices as appeals for forgiveness of sin and as appeals for cleansing from sin. Jethro turns towards fellowship with with the community of God in verse 12 as well. Jethro turns towards praising God. He turns towards declaring him as the one true and mighty God. He turns towards worshiping him with offerings and sacrifices, seeking atonement. And now, though once an outsider, he is being invited into fellowship with the community of God. This is the story of our salvation in Christ, by the way. We hear of this one true God's ability to deliver us from the hardship of sin through his son's death on a cross, and we turn and we embrace that son, and he makes us alive and and makes us new creations, and we begin to boast in that son, sharing his story of salvation. And through his sacrifice, we don't offer sacrifices, but we lean into his sacrifice by faith, and through that sacrifice, we are given atonement and forgiveness for our sin. And as a new believer, what happens? We are invited into fellowship in a new community. Though we were once outsiders, now we are brought into new community and family. You see, here in Jethro, we see the early signs of God's promise that he made to Moses being fulfilled. 
In Exodus chapter 9, verse 16, he said, Before this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. His name is being proclaimed amongst not just Israel, but his name is being proclaimed amongst the Jethro's of the world. His deliverance isn't only reserved for Israel. It is reserved for all those who would turn to him in praise and worship, in adoration, embracing him as the one and only true God. Have you embraced him today as your God? Maybe you feel like you're on the outside like Jethro. But brother, all it takes is for you to respond to what you've heard about this God. That he is a deliverer. That he will save us from the hardship of our sin. And if you respond to that by saying, well, I trust this one true, holy, and righteous God, then this one true, holy, and righteous God will not only make atonement for your sin, but he will invite you into community and fellowship with him and with his bride. It therefore makes complete and total sense when you think about what's happening here. Jethro is loved. Jethro is respected. Jethro hears about the, about the, about the works of Moses' God, and he says, this is the one true God. So it makes total sense that Jethro, when he speaks, Moses is listening. And he speaks in verse 13. He says, or it says, the next day Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you were doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God, when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them, uh, and I make them know the statutes of God and his law. Moses has an unbelievably hard task, an unbelievably full workload. Every day as the leader of this God-empowered deliverance movement, here we get a glimpse of one of these days. Before Jethro arrives, it seems that Moses has become the sole adjudicator of all personal legal disputes transpiring amongst the, amongst the people of Israel. Think about that. Let's <laughs> just think about that for a second. We have several hundred thousand people in this group, at least. And Moses is handling the adjudication of every single legal dispute that arises between them. And you know how petty we can be. And so think about how many disputes he's handling regularly. The scripture says that as Moses sat down and decided these cases, people stood around him from morning till evening. So Jethro asked Moses a very reasonable question, a question that a wise old man would ask. What are you doing? <laughs> what, is what is going on? How are you, what, do you, what do you think you're doing? That's a reasonable question, right? But did you catch what Moses said? Moses says, the people come to me to inquire of God. They come to me so I can decide their disputes. They come to me so I can make them know the statutes of God and his law. You see, Moses was giving us a glimpse into his leadership philosophy here at this point in time. 
It also will peek into a very flawed understanding of leadership. You see, leaders cannot and should not try to do everything. God may be indeed using you to lead, but he is not using you exclusively. As one theologian puts it, Jethro is about to teach Moses a very important lesson, and it is this. God's ministry is supposed to be shared. In chapter 18, verse 17, he says, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. You know, what I find striking here in Jethro's statement is how not only is Moses worn out by his inability to share his ministry and to share the ministry, rather, but the people with Moses are also worn out by Moses' inability to share the ministry. You see, when the work of ministry isn't shared, it will wear down the leader and those trying to support that leader. Jethro is saying, you're going to kill yourself, Moses, and you're going to hurt a lot of people that you are actually trying to serve. This isn't a groundbreaking truth, saints. Pastors burning out and leaving ministry, pastors failing morally and being disqualified for ministry, these moments just don't impact the leaders. It impacts those they are leading and even those outside of their leadership sphere. Just this week alone, another very prominent pastor was sadly fired from his position for cheating on his wife. Now, family, this will leave a deep scar on him, and this will definitely leave a deep scar on his family for years to come that they're going to have to work through by God's grace to see healing. But there is a church in the background that is going to be deeply wounded as well. And that's not to say every example of burnout or, or failing is the result of a leader not sharing the work, but it is an incentive to us to make sure the work is shared so that it doesn't present another stumbling block, not only for our wearing out, the leaders wearing out, but for the church, the flocks wearing out. So how do we do it? Jethro gives Moses and us a pathway in verse 19. He says, now obey my voice and I will give you advice. And God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. First, Jethro reaffirms Moses' role as God's chosen leader of Israel for this moment. A call to share is not a call to abdicate, or a call to share is not a call to abandon his responsibility as leader. Moses still has a responsibility to represent the people of God before God, to teach them all of God's laws, and to show them how to walk with God. And Jethro reaffirms that. But Jethro takes Moses' role a step further. We see it in verse 21. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, men who are trustworthy and, and hate a bribe. 
and placed such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall design, decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. Jethro's point is a very important one. His proposal to share the ministry doesn't mean that it is shared with any person who raises their hand. So Jethro gives Moses some qualifications for the candidates. Jethro tells Moses, pick folks that fear God. Pick folks that are trustworthy. Pick folks that, are, that hate a bride. Notice that Moses, Moses has laws and standards already. And yet, Jethro's counsel doesn't really deal as much with the content, with the laws that they're dealing with. Rather, Jethro's attention is fixed on the character of the men. See, the first most important element in, in, in this is that they have high character. They can be familiar with the laws that Moses has, but if they don't have high character... Jethro says they're not worthy of being appointed. The first most important element in this character is that they fear God. You see, if they fear God, then the other characteristics and the other qualities and traits will flow from that. You see, if they fear God, Scripture says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A man that truly fears God has the foundation for healthy character. A person with a healthy fear of God will carry a healthy fear in abusing and exploiting those created in the image and likeness of God. Those that truly fear and respect God will, will respect those created by God. That's why Jethro starts with those that fear God. Pick men that fear God. They'll be trustworthy. They won't live a duplicitous life. Why? Because they fear man? No, because they fear God. And out of fear of God, they'll seek to do right by man. Their judgments will be shaped by the God they fear and not their own selfish gain. In fact, notice that Moses says that they, not simply that they don't take bribes, but that they hate them. You see, you can refuse a bribe without hating it. You can refuse a bribe out of expedience. You can refuse a bribe out of mere survival. But to hate a bribe speaks to something deeper in a person's character. This fear of God fuels them to love what God loves and hate what God hates, not simply out of fear of consequence, but out of alignment with the God that they love and they fear. Jethro also gives Moses some very important wisdom regarding the formation of this group of leaders. He says some should lead thousands, some should lead hundreds, some should lead 50, some should lead tens. It appears that Jethro is helping us understand another important spiritual truth, and that is this. The level of spiritual maturity given to a person should be or I'm sorry, the level of spiritual responsibility given to a person should be in proportion to the level of spiritual maturity in that person. 
Not only are they giving people in proportion to their maturity, but they're giving matters in proportion to their maturity. They are instructed to handle the small matters and forward the bigger matters up. And as they have the maturity and the wisdom and the knowledge to handle a matter, they handle it. But if they don't have the wisdom or maturity and knowledge to handle the matter, it is forwarded up another level until it reaches the level of Moses. And Jethro says, when those matters reach you, then you decide on them. But all the other matters underneath you, let others decide. One theologian says that in this wisdom, Jethro is establishing Moses as the supreme court of Israel. Going from the local courts to the federal courts and rolling all the way up to the supreme court. Jethro's plan ensures that as many people as possible are mobilized to make it easier on Moses, easier on the people, and to make it more efficient in in God's economy. To make kingdom work happen. To reduce the bottlenecks, as they would say in corporate America. Here's a myth that we need to rid ourselves of. The effectiveness of a church's ministry is not confined to one person. Too often we credit the work of one person for the success or the failure of ministry when it is the contributions of many that will ultimately determine the effectiveness of any ministry. Even an effective ministry has the ability to be more effective. If it has more people committed to the cause of Christ and living passionate, sacrificial kingdom lives. As we can see here in this text, Moses can't do it alone. And Jethro implores him to employ others in the work. But we also see that Jethro doesn't just tell him to recruit anybody. Because the ministry needs capable people, faithful people, trustworthy people, people that fear God to stand alongside the leaders to perform the work. By the way, this is a picture of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that we see in this text. Remember Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds and teachers, leaders, if you will, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. He gave the leaders not to do all the work, but to equip all of us to do the work. For the building up of the body of Christ, it continues in Ephesians, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, stature of the fullness of Christ. Notice this work of maturing, this work of growing until the fullness of Christ is a team effort. There is not one man that is responsible for growing us into the maturity and the the fullness of Christ. It is a group effort. And there are people that God deploys to equip us all to serve in that effort. The leaders are charged with equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. So this moment, as we are listening together at the preaching of God's word, we are being encouraged through God's word. This is a part of our responsibility to the kingdom, to the body of Christ. But it is not our only role in the kingdom. It is equipping us for everything else that God has assigned and called us to. 
in the kingdom. It is equipping us for our service to him. And we are stronger when we all are engaged. We are we grow more effectively. We grow more, more, uh, we grow more efficiently when we are all engaged in the work that God has assigned to us. The effectiveness of a church is not confined to one person. In fact, the effectiveness, uh, the effectiveness of a church is dependent on the many. Now, as we look to verse 24, quick question. What's more important than giving godly, wise advice? Receiving it. Receiving it. We see here in, 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 in the text in, in Exodus, verse 24 it says, So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. He chose able men out of all of Israel. He made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case, they brought to Moses. But any small matter, they decided themselves. Then Moses let his, fa his father-in-law depart. And he went away to his own country. You know, there are two people that you should spend time around. People whose growth you can aid and people who can aid your growth. One group reminds you to model Jesus. The other group reminds you that you aren't Jesus. Sometimes these two attributes can be found in the same group of people, and those are your peers, the people that you typically hang around, and you push on them, and they push on you, and vice versa. This morning, we, we've, we've walked through this chapter, and we've focused our attention, fixed our attention primarily on those that can help us grow, those that are ahead of, ahead of us in this race. And we all need those people around us. We all need those Jethro's around us, the godly, the good, the wise people in our, in our lives that challenge our way of thinking, those people that are for us, those people that are for God, those people that are living lives worthy of imitation, worthy of our respect, and those people that demonstrate deep love for us. We need to surround ourselves around people like this, but folks, we have to humble ourselves amongst people like this. We have to give room for them to speak into our lives. We have to give room for them to encourage us. We have to give room to them for, for them to challenge us. Over and over and over again when I think about the, 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 the good counsel that I have at the side of my hip with my wife. Now find out how arrogant I am because I don't want to listen to it. And she's always giving great counsel. And I'm always finding a way to excuse away the great counsel. What good is, what good is it if you have great counsel in your life and you're not heeding it? I need to humble myself and listen to that ball of wisdom more. How about you? How many bad choices have you made in life? How many bad choices have you made in life where the result came simply or where it was the result simply of the rejection of good counsel? 
Proverbs 12 and 15 says, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 19 and 20 says, listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Proverbs 11 and 14 says, where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. It's not just good to have the echoes of good counsel around you. You have to be humble enough to listen. You have to be humble enough to take heed. You see, this is a struggle, I'm sure not just for me, but for many of us. One, because we live in such an individualized culture that tells us to pursue our own hearts, tells us to find our own way. And we are very off-putting towards those that might have a word to speak to us. Two, because we also are not only in a culture that's, that's, that, that is antagonistic towards good counsel in the sense of, we're so, in, in, in the sense of our individualism, but we, are, we also live in a culture that is antagonistic to any sort of expertise. It's like, what are you talking about? I got YouTube. I can go look that up myself. I don't need you to give me advice. And so everybody has their truth that they're leaning on and depending on. And when you have that kind of climate and when you have that kind of culture, it makes it really, really hard for people to be sensitive and to be humble enough to hear good advice. But notice what happens when Moses listens to this sound advice. Verse 22, it says, I'm sorry, verse 21 Moreover, look for able men from all the people who fear God. Hmm. Did I lose my way here? I'm sorry, verse 23, excuse me. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. And all of these people also will go to their place in peace. What happens? When Moses listens... God is able to direct. He makes room for God when he listens to the good counsel around him. See, how, see, how many times are we obstructing God's work in our lives? Because we are too arrogant to listen to godly people giving us godly counsel. Some of us are praying for God to speak to us, and then God's speaking to us through other people, and we're not listening. But here, Moses, when Moses listens, Jethro says, God will direct you. God, you will make room for God. And you will be able to endure. As a leader who has taken on everything upon his own shoulders, Jethro says, if you do what I'm saying, this counsel that I'm giving you from God, if you heed it and you listen to it, then you will be able to, to maintain for the long haul. You'll be able to stay on the court, play till you're 60. And all this people also will go to their place in peace. So what happens if I listen, not only am I being served and being benefited, not only am I making room for God to direct and move me as I need to go, but also the people that I'm serving will be served when I take heed. 
How many Jethro's do you have in your life? How many of them are you listening to? You know, Moses in some ways is, is imitating and reflecting to us Christ. This, you know, oftentimes when we see Moses delivering as a, as a deliverer, as a mediator between us and God, we should think about Jesus. But here, here's what's amazing about this text when we think about Moses and Jesus, is that Moses has to do this. He has no choice but to delegate. Because if he does not delegate, he's going to die. Flat out. And so Jethro says, you're killing yourself. You have to do this. But when you think about what Jesus is doing for us, Jesus doesn't have to delegate. D Jesus doesn't have to give you assignments to serve on mission with him. Jesus is doing this out of the abundance of his own delight to see it. He's giving you permission and opportunity to serve in the word, to participate in what he's doing. And he doesn't have to do it because he's going to spin himself out if he doesn't do it. He's doing it because he delights to do it. And so what joy do we, should we take in, in having the privilege to, to be, one who count, or be one who makes decisions for the tens or, or be one who judges for the 50 or be one who serves the thousands or the hundreds? What privilege and joy should we have in knowing that we're not doing that because God has to allow us to do that, but we're doing that because God delights in us doing that. The counsel that we receive, the, 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 the counsel that we are receiving from him is not counsel that he has to give us. It's counsel that he delights to give us because he wants to see his children serving. He wants to see his children living on mission. He wants to see his children working and laboring in his kingdom. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that has died for us, a God that desires for us to participate in his kingdom work. And so I invite you to do so. And I invite you to come and to participate in what God is doing. Would you pray with me? God, we